The Cast is an interview podcast where we talk to people for and or from the Midwest, and we are brought to you by Jolly Good Soda. Here's this week's episode. Hey, everybody. How we doing? Uh, great seeing you again over... Well, I guess I'm not seeing you at all, but you get what I'm saying. Fall is almost here. Oh, my gosh. Colleen, have you seen the advertisements for fall? Yeah, right. all the back to school stuff is back in the Ugh. in the stores. I appreciate that though. So I Ugh. I love back to school shopping. I mean, it's I really. That, I was such a brown nosing oh. student. Like my, I literally was like, I can't wait to get back to school. <laughs> I always dreaded it, like the plague. But you know, I probably learned a lot less because I had a bad attitude. My mom would say, "Charlie, how was school?" And I'd always say, "Oh, school, school, just a mope." Yeah, you know, I just didn't like it. I felt confined. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I always was told that I need to work on self control with talking oh. from K through twelve. <laughs> my mom would always, I'd literally, my brother and I would always come home and we'd be like, yeah, like we got told again to be quiet, and she's just like, let the other kids talk. Yeah, we just were always like really eager. Well, the, yeah, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. a that's a lust for life, a yeah. lust to learn. God bless you, and also a lust probably chit chat about some. BS, that doesn't matter. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that probably shows how we are today. Well, you know, you got to embrace who you are. Yeah. That hasn't changed either. <laughs> you know, you're just, a, you're, you're always Chatty. you're always chatting. Yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's good. You chat about good stuff yeah. most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I chat about BS, so I can't even, I can't even Your say Your dad anything. told me I must have got a degree in bullshitting, so. Yeah, my dad would know. He's... And he says he wrote the curriculum. That's what he told me one yeah. time. He goes, I don't need to get a degree when I made the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> Dick so, Barron's, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Um, Colleen Maraca, the executive producer of the Cripes cast here. She was on vacation last week. Where'd mm-hmm. you go, Colleen? And I was having a great time in Stanley, Idaho. It was great. Unplugged in the middle of the wilderness. <laughs> you and just your friends and... Um, um, Until I got a call. <laughs> I got a call because I didn't know the password for the Cast computer, and I had to do an interview with Tracy Ashley, our guest today, who is an Emmy-nominated writer for uh, Black Lady Sketch Show. Uh, they're going up against SNL in this year's uh, Emmys. She's also a stand-up comedian from kind of all over, as she'll describe in the podcast, but came up in the comedic scene in uh, Minneapolis, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area toured all around the Midwest, played a bunch of places in Wisconsin, which we'll talk about. She's the real deal. She's super funny. She's toured with Tracy Morgan, Dave Chappelle. She's worked with Wanda Sykes and Tiffany Haddish. And uh, yeah, I think think you'll really enjoy this interview. Uh, But before we get to that... Colleen, what else? What else do we got going on here? Patreon. That's Thank a big you. thing, yes. right? Yeah. Do you want me to go for it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. You know? uh, if you're interested in supporting the Cripes Cast, Charlie Barron's platforms, Manitowoc Minute, you can head to patreon.com slash Charlie Barron's to gain access to exclusive content from the Cripes Cast, our videos, tour information, behind the scenes, and extended cuts and more. If you head to patreon.com slash Charlie Barron's, it's all there. I've had some fun making uh, some of our... Uh, content there's there's a lot of like behind the scenes stuff from our shows our state fair show recently and uh i i'm enjoying it because it's it kind of gives us the time to do more for super fans you know a lot of times when we make a video we're thinking like okay how can this um appeal to people who haven't even seen our anything know nothing about us but sometimes that kind of leaves the super fans maybe wanting more 
we mm-hmm. think. And so, you know, that's why we created this for the, those of you who really want to see more uh, and kind of get the behind the scenes, uh, you know, of what we do on a daily basis. And, and yeah, so yeah. It's, it's fun stuff. Um, we got to come up with a fan base name for your fans. I don't know. Like a Swifty. But I got to think of them like a Oprah. Uh, an Oprah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you keep thinking on that. <laughs> I, I think I think that maybe if any fans have suggestions, send those suckers in. But yeah. We got fan Q&As, too, that we'll, we're going to start doing at some point. A lot of fun. Like, it's a really good place to get exclusive content and fan interaction. So, And also, we're going to try to do, like, first people to know about show dates and everything. Speaking of which, speaking of shows, uh, we were in Ohio last week, did Cincinnati and Sylvania. Both of those were... Uh, a ton of fun especially sylvania it was an outdoor show and um i don't know i, I was always fearful of doing outdoor shows because as a comedian you're like you know that's you as a comedian you like small rooms real small rooms i think i mentioned this with the state fair show but um doing i don't know i've really enjoyed the outdoor shows adam grew was with me andy rafi was with me adam and i do a lot of the music so adding the music i think helps um, and speaking of which, we've got more shows coming up. Sioux City, Davenport, Dubuque, uh, all Iowa, um, September 9th through the 11th. Then Adams, Wisconsin, September 15th. And then a bunch of Illinois shows. We got Rockford, Waukegan, Joliet. Is that? It's a French word. But I don't think anybody like pronounces it like that. Do well, I don't know. I, I never you... judge how anyone pronounces anything. Fair enough. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they say Joliet. Yeah, right over there. Um, anyway, uh, leading. Do you? Is there anything I forgot, Kelly? That's all I got for housekeeping stuff. Um, yeah. Follow yeah. the Cripescast Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Cripescast, TikTok, the whole deal, YouTube, and with all that, let's get to this week's episode. How are you doing? Oh, good. It's early. <laughs> yeah, it is early, isn't it? It's early for a comedian. You know what I mean. Other people are like, crazy, it's 10 o'clock. Get out of bed. Are you always on that kind of schedule? The the stand-up comedian life schedule? Is that your deal? You know, it still is my deal, even though I'm writing and I haven't been doing as much stand-up. It's still, it's still, I still am a night owl. I still stay up late. I still, I stay up writing late, you know? I, I got to change. I got to change because everybody in the writer's room gets up at like six o'clock, five in the morning. You know, I'm like, oh, really? I just roll out enough time to get a shower and get ready for the Zoom. Is, <laughs> you know? is, is that the, the writer's room life really? Is, is it it's early mornings? Well you, well, you start at like, what, most rooms we start at 10, some 9.30, I guess. But like, yeah, the people who've been writing, you know, they're not comedians. They're just, you know, they get up. A lot of them get up early and they have this, you know, routine. And I'm like, damn it, I got to do the same thing. But, yeah. you know, as a comedian, you get up later and because you work at night. You're up all night. So you just, it's a different lifestyle. So I've been trying to, for a long time now, readjust my clock and I just fight it, you know? Yeah. I, you know... When I was a kid, uh, I was one of 12 and my dad would like Saturday morning, he'd be downstairs 630 and he'd be like, who's still sleeping? Get your right. ass out of the rack. You know, that was like, mm. so I was uh, for a while had this internal panic if I wasn't up by 7 a.m. Right. But then 
after like 20, you know, in my mid 20s, 20 some years it took to break me from that. Right. And I was like, oh, it's so nice to sleep in. And I don't feel guilty because I'm like, I need more sleep. We do. We do need more. I'm entertaining people at night, you know, all those years I did that. But I got to be honest, I think I was just, I must have been born at night or something because. Honestly, I've been this way my whole life. Even when I was a kid, you know, same thing. My grandfather, we go visit him in Georgia. Man, he'd come in. My grandfather was over six feet tall. He had these big overalls on, these big old boots. And you hear him walking in. And like, as soon as the crows would start, you know, the roosters, you know, whatever. And he would come in. Can You can't sleep past six o'clock. It'll make you lazy for the rest of your life. It's like, well, let me be crazy for the rest of my life. <laughs> that sounds like a good life to me, Grandpa. <laughs> he was so serious about that. You know, although back then, those old fashioned rules, you know, he really believed if you slept past a certain time, you were not going to be productive at all. Yeah. And that was a big thing for my grandpa. And he also believed, I think I was, we, we were talking about this. He didn't play with you past a, pers- a, a certain age. You hit yeah. a certain age. I think it was like, it was before 10. I know that. And that disappointed me because we love playing with grandpa, right? But you hit and like, I think it's like seven or eight. He's like, not nah, can't play with you no more. And I was like, why grandpa? He said, you know too much now. You know way <laughs> too much. <laughs> so, so what, it was just a working relationship after that? After that, absolutely. You go do yeah. your chores, you yeah. know, you get in there, you get your breakfast with grandma, you, whatever grandma needs help with. If it's laundry, feeding the chickens, which I love to go feed the chickens, you know, whatever, you had chores to go and do, you know, yeah. and after that, and then he would like, you know, you were responsible. Like you had to read the Bible and you had to be responsible. And I'm like, but I'm eight. I just want to go outside and play with the dogs. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. It's, he's probably, you know, it's like each generation gets a little bit uh, better in, in terms of a lot of things. Probably we get worse in, yeah. in terms of other things. But yeah. what was, what do you think, uh, what was his life uh, growing up? My grandfather, there were, yeah. oh gosh, I know there were over 10 kids, you know, he had, there were over 10 of them and he was, my grandfather was the oldest. And I know yeah. he felt some kind of way about that because back then, you know, being the oldest, being black, living in the South, grandpa didn't go to school. Mm. You know, grandpa had to, he had to work the fields. He had to work. So he wasn't allowed to go to school. He would always talk about how his other siblings, his younger siblings, got to go to school and he had to work. So I think that's why he had that mentality with us, you know. Yeah. So it was hard for my grandfather, but he was a farmer his whole life. Farmer and a deacon in the church. Wow. Old school type of guy, you know. What kind of farmer? He did a cornfield. He had hogs. We, we had cornfields, we had big, huge cornfields, hogs, um, ch- he did eggs. I just remember him loading up those eggs in those crates, you know, yeah. and come pick them up. And also he had, you know, like the, the hogs and the meat. He had a meat, uh, I think he called it a smokehouse or something he had in the back. And they would, you know, give sell that meat as well. And we yeah. take it to the meat house in, in out in the country. Um, same thing with the with the corn. They come, they get the corn, they, they he bushels of corn, they pick it up. So that was his thing. That's all my grandfather ever did his whole life. And I think about that now. I'm like, God, my grandpa, yeah, he was a farmer whole time. Yeah. And my grandmother never drove. 
never learned how to drive. You know, these are older people back in the old, you know, like they old school, never drove, but she took care of all of the, the other things on the farm. She had lots of cats running around to kill all the mice. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, she had all, all the, every animal had a purpose on that farm. In that, that's such a different way of living than uh, most of us are are accustomed to. Absolutely. Uh, I asked my grandmother once, I said, Grandma, wouldn't you just want a million dollars so you wouldn't have to work here? And she said, uh, she said, baby, a million dollars would be nice. She said, but all that we have, we work for. Yeah. And she said, one day you'll learn being given something is all nice, but there might be a price with that. She said, but when you do it yourself, she said, it's yours. You earned it. You did it. And I always kept that with me. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Because I even think about like uh, some some people I know where it's like, you know, you got some friends that, you know, have not everyone who has one of these, but I got some friends with a trust fund or whatever. And that right. that, that weighs on you because it's like when you are when you go from zero to here. Yeah. I mean, zero to there, there's like yeah. momentum and, and whatever. But when you start with everything, like it's hard to get that momentum. And I think like at least creatively or or in our industry, it's like yeah. that momentum helps you a lot. If you didn't have this and now you get this. It does. We got a story to tell too. You know, I feel like you got a story. Oh, I changed my lighting. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I <laughs> you like have a that. story. You just have a story to tell. It's just different. You know, I have That's friends true. like you're talking about with that trust fund. And I would tell you, they would always tell me that they would envy my life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You about to get bank. And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, you know, you, you work for all your stuff, Trace. I'm like, your people respect you. I'm like, whatever, <laughs> you know, but I get it. You know, I, I totally get that. Well, even, even for some, like, what, what I like about comedy is even if your story is that you have a trust fund or whatever, like there's there is humanness in all of it and relatability in all of it. And mm. it, 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 though it would be easier if you had more of a story or a quirk or something you could latch on to, to, to bring into the thing, it doesn't matter who you are, um, wh where you're from, how old you are, whatever it is, you can, you can do stand up, which Absolutely. is, which I love that about that. I had a friend, Charlie, you say that I had a friend, I won't say her name. But she's like that trust fund kid, right? So like we were doing stand up and she would always drive these raggedy cars. She'd always have like a raggedy, raggedy car. And she'd always dress real down, you know? None of us knew anything about her like that, you know? And then one day she invited us just to, like, she's I'm only gonna invite a few people that I really know and trust. And I'm like, why is she talking like that? Do I really trust, what is she talking about? So she invited us to her home, her parents' home, and we had like this bonfire and she lived like in this mansion <laughs> and like we had like they had like hay barrels i thought they bought hay barrels like they made the big <laughs> they brought it all for us and did this big huge like on this land by this lake in this big ass house and then we found out her family was in politics and they were all lawyers and they were her grandfather was a famous you know pop something pop like one, don't want to say because i'll give it away but yeah he was just somebody and we were just like what all this time and we were i was like why wouldn't you ever because i don't want you guys to judge me i'm yeah. a comedian i'm a comedian comics have it hard if you have it easy nobody's gonna take you seriously but what you say on stage we were like are you kidding 
this is what you should be talking about. (laughs) None of us us knew this about you. Look at how you present yourself. Come on, you know, but she would never talk about it because she, and to this day, will not talk about it. Well, it's, yeah, and I I can, I can even see that. I mean, I I grew up a kid of the suburbs myself, you know, and it's like, uh, so I've got, I had pretty easy life going up. The thing I, you know, chose to talk about mostly was being one of 12 because it's the a unique, weird thing. But you can easily do something because there's so much bizarre stuff going on in That's right. the suburbs too. But it's like the truth is the truth because, um, but it, it hits different. I feel like I'm quoting uh, Almost Famous now. The truth just sounds different. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I do too. But it's, uh, you know, it's like the, it, oh, I was listening to this thing um, on, on the radio just this morning and it said, uh, it was somebody who was listening to uh, they did this study that laughter is beneficial for you or whatever. So they went to comedy clubs and improv shows and they listened for what made people laugh the most. And it was less funny or a punchline. And it was more uh, an, a truth, an honesty. Absolutely. Yep. That's it, so true. Yeah. yeah. Right. People watch. They, that's why, you know, people will come up to me after shows and I'm sure this happens to you. Is that true? Was that story you said true? You know, I'm like, yeah, it was true. You know, we we might we might add a little, you know, a little flavor yeah. to the story, but the foundation of it is real most of the time. Just, especially for me, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. But yeah, I do believe that people laugh at the truths more than anything. You know, and it's I think our comedies change. Remember, remember the time Charlie when it used to be set up punch, set up punch, mm-hmm. set up punch. Yeah, changed. It's not. It's no longer set up punch at all. Well, and and why do you think? It has changed because, yeah, you're talking like the Rodney Dangerfield era um, uh, kind of in there. But but it has become I think Richard Pryor was the first comic. He was the first comic to make the stand up special a thing, to my knowledge. And he just owned the stage and it was storytelling. I mean, he right. had punchlines and everything. Right. I, would he be the first one, uh, or am I am I missing somebody? Well, I mean, listen, we could go way back. What's well, oh god, I can't believe it's um, historically before George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, right? Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go back to Lenny Bruce and look, listen to some of his stuff. He was telling jokes, but he was also telling truths and stories sometimes too, right? Yeah, I, I think he did that. But the first black comedian that I know only I, and I can't I can only say what I know right was yeah. Richard Pryor for me to actually get up there tell stories of his life I mean when Richard Pryor I remember being young and he had that accident with he was freebasing or something and he mm. burned his skin mm-hmm. and the, and for him to come out and talk about that and the audience when you watch that special people are like wanting to hear about it yeah. And the truth I had heard, I, I would love to find out this is actually true, but I think this is. Someone had told me the history behind his special. I believe it was live on the Sunset Strip or it could have been the second one after, but I need to get my facts right. But anyway, one of his specials that is a legendary special, he taped it twice. And they say the first night he taped it, the crowd was just like on it, like on him about being honest and about talking about what really happened. So that second night, which is the one we got to see, was when he really went out there and was truly honest about it and just told the story. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine that 
doing your special with stuff you haven't even really yeah. tested. So yeah. he didn't even test. He just came out and told. I got to rewatch that. Yeah, because we got to find the, the story behind it. But there is totally a story about how he taped it twice. He did. You know how you do? You do two shows. And they yeah. say the first show was not good. The crowd yeah. was like, they wanted to hear about what happened. They wanted him to be honest. And he didn't really have it all together. And that yeah. second night or the second show, they said he just, he destroyed, you know? But I think he, yeah, as far, he inspired me. Watching Richard inspired me. Watching Eddie Murphy tell stories inspired me. That became mm -hmm. the thing. Wanda Sykes, mm -hmm. them just talking about their their experiences, you know? And then I think now with Chappelle, you know, so many comedians, you know, really admire him. I I admire him too. It's he gets to tell his truths as well. So everybody wants to do that. But I always tell comedians, you can't. We all can't be Chappelle. Uh, <laughs> you you have to earn that that. Uh, That's right. You have to earn it, and he has. And and I mean, his comedy has changed so much over Absolutely. the years too. Um, yeah, you can't just. I think that's when you're at open mics. I think you learn really quick that you're not allowed to just walk up there and have nobody's giving you the benefit of the doubt they give Chappelle or right. you know Bill Burr or or any right. of the, those guys. Uh, um, you gotta, you gotta get your mechanics down and right. hit those punchlines, hit that setup punchline, setup punchline. That's right. Um, and he wasn't always the Chappelle he is today. That's what I always tell comedians. Walk, go back and watch some old stuff, like way, way back and watch his journey and you'll see how he evolved. That's what we all have to do as comedians. You grow, you evolve, you keep writing, you keep living, you know, that's what we do. And, you know, you can't sit there. I tell comedians, don't sit and watch someone and go, I want to be that person. You can admire that person, but we already have that person. What do you bring to the table? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's not to say that that person you're talking to isn't going to get up there and do their best Bill Burr impression or do their <laughs> best. As I feel like I, I, I even I even have to, you know, watch my because sometimes I like you know, I change in my act or whatever. And I, I'm like watching myself back. I'm like, I'm, I'm leaning on the mic the way Bill Burr would do it. I'm like, God, Charlie, just be you up there. You know, even <laughs> right. now, even now I borrow that stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I mean, not often, not for like the whole show, but I'll have a moment uh, of just, of, uh, I don't know where I think yeah. I embody something yeah. I saw and I liked. Me you too. Know? I think we all do it. We all slip into it every now and again. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I'll go back. I'll be thinking about something Eddie Murphy did, you know, I'm on stage. I'm like, oh, you're sounding like Eddie. It's a female Eddie. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It takes a minute. It takes yeah. a minute. What, what is your journey? When did you first decide that comedy might be a thing that you could do? I always wanted to be a comic when I was a kid, comedian, but I didn't know how, you know, obviously. Mm. So I went to college, did all the stuff, all the right stuff you're supposed to do in life, right? Go to college, get a job. But I always wanted to be a comedian and I started working in uh, in radio and sports radio sales for the Minnesota Vikings a long time ago when Randy Moss was a rookie and Denny Green was the coach of the Vikings. I remember when the Vikings got Randy Moss. Right. I and, remember and that. That was From also Marshall. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I worked the season that we went, almost went to the Super Bowl when uh, Gary Anderson missed the famous field goal oh, yeah. that was supposed to take us. You know, but we lost to the Atlanta Falcons 
And as a it, Packers fan, I of didn't course feel that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Packers. You guys loved it. It was so. It was like I remember the hurt of the of the city. Uh, <laughs> I remember they were on the news. They had like therapists. They had a therapy line. Oh no! <laughs> fans oh my gosh. all. If you were upset about us, because we were going to the Super Bowl, there was no way Gary Anderson had not ever missed a field goal. We were going, and he missed. And I mean, that would have meant more money for me in sales because I was a salesperson. Yeah. So every time we went on, we got even more, you know. Yeah. But I was doing stand up at the time, and I started in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I almost forgot. Wait, what was the question? I forgot your question. No, uh, I, I just want to know uh, your journey. So you're, yeah, yeah. you're working. So yeah, the for journey. Like, so yeah, and... so I started doing stand up there while I was selling sports, and uh-huh. then um, I just kept doing the, the the going up there, doing open mics, and then the club owner Lewis Lee, who is like a best friend, uncle, brother, dad to us comedians. He's everything. The Yoda. He came to me and he said, he told me I was star quality one day, and I was like, Ooh. what? Nobody had ever told me that. I was like, what? Start you, quality. You were just doing open mics at this point. Yeah, and okay. he was like, "Are you?" He want they they wanted to know if I was serious about it, and I told him, "Yeah." And you know, I just started going down to Acme and doing the the open mics on Monday nights. It, that's yeah. the night it used to be. It used to be legendary open mic on Monday nights. Place was packed. Sometimes there'd be lines. People people would wait until somebody would leave so they could go in. It was just it had become legendary there, and so I started doing that. And then last comic standing came around. And it was finally going to be a reality show that highlighted comedians. And I got a chance to be in the semifinals. I made it to the semifinals of Last Comic Standing. And uh, from there, I think Tracy Morgan's people saw me uh, because I started doing colleges and touring around. And someone who worked with Tracy Morgan was like, hey, how about we get Tracy Ashley to open for you? So I went on tour with Tracy Morgan. So it was like Tracy Ashley opens for Tracy Morgan. It was fun. And I did a bunch of cities with Tracy. I got to perform at Carnegie Hall, Kennedy Center. You know, it was just an amazing time. Great time for him. It was right after his accident. He was doing great. And the audiences were just loving him. So it was was a fun show because the audiences were just so supportive of Tracy. And then they were supportive of of us, you know, because he had a few comics open. But we toured. I got to go on a private jet with him and see what that life was like. You know, that was just a fun adventure for me. And then um, got with Wanda Sykes. She was she also helped me out a great deal, put me on a show called Hilarious doing stand up. And then Tiffany Haddish and Wanda decided to do a a, a compilation, I guess, of, of female comedians and who had not been heard or seen. And it was called They Ready. And I was one of the comedians and I got a chance to get a half hour on Netflix Next thing I know, I'm writing, you know, writing on TV shows, writing on The Last OG for Tracy Morgan, writing on The Neighborhood with Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, then I got a job on a Black Lady sketch show now, a head writer. And, writing that, and we're Emmy nominated. Hell yeah, nominated. you are. Boy, Congratulations. Emmy. Yay, we're so excited. So, I mean, that's been my journey. and But it all came from stand-up comedy. And and you kind of, I mean, the way you just said that story, it's like I started doing uh, stand-up at an open mic. And uh, then I got on last comic standing. Now oh. <laughs> it was years what, before. It was years. It was years. Yeah, I mean that's kind of that's kind of the thing. And and these days, you know, um, that's not the typical path. I mean, uh, oh. there are so few spots for last comic standing or for 
the late night sets or whatever. Um, what are your what are your peers in the? Because I know you now you you do stand up um, and you, but mostly you're writing these days, right? Right. But what are your fellow like comics or whatever who are coming up now? How are they getting their break? Like, if you're a comedian out there listening, like, what's your best advice for a comedian? It's it's changed so much, Charlie. Really, mm-hmm. you know. And what I hear from my peers out there who are coming up, or the young ones are coming up. They're telling me it's really about that that social media presence now also. Like, also, what are you doing online? What are you doing on TikTok? What are you doing on Instagram? That helps so much. And a lot of the clubs are, I saw a comedian, she put on a post on Facebook. She said, man, I've been out of the game for a while. I decided to get back in. And now I'm told I need to have 100,000 followers on Instagram. I need to have a podcast. You know, I need to have an album out, like all this stuff she was saying. And then the, I just, I, there was over like 300 comments and people were saying like, yeah, that is the game now. That is, it is different now. Um, and then some people were saying, not really. You know, if you're in demand, that's not your your issue. You know, if people, if you still have a, a bit of a following, that's not a problem. I mean, the answers were all over the place. So I still say to me, it's still about being funny. It's still about the craft. It's still about what you do, how you're doing all that and getting your name out. That's the game now, you know, how to get your name out there. But when you get there, what's the product? What are you giving them? What are you, you know, all these people are doing these gimmicks online and being funny. But when you get to a comedy club, you better have a show. It's not going to go well. You got to have content. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You are doing, you might, you could sell out if you have a big name, via social media you can sell out an entire tour you could fill stadiums you could headline having zero content but then when you get up to that stage and you give zero content live or uh that that'll be the last deal so you really have to do two incredibly difficult jobs these days that's true Build yeah. a social media following and become a great stand-up comic. And I'm not coming. I'll be honest, Charlie. I and I know I'm get I get I'll get slapped for this, but I just I'm not into the social media the way that I should be. And it's not because I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I love seeing my friends and talking to people on social media. I love reading this stuff. I love seeing videos. Yeah. But I'm so I think I'm still stuck on the old school ways. I'm just not. That's not me. I've never been one to do a, to do sketches for me. I'll do somebody else's sketch but I'm not going to do my own. Like, I'm just not into it that way. So I feel, I always feel bad for my, my, the people that follow me. I'm like, Tracy, put up something, give them something, you know, you know, cause that's just not what my thing is. Um, and I fought it. My managers and agents are like, Nope, you gotta be on. That's the way of the, the world. Now that's how they know what's going on. So I'm always yeah. excited. Like, Oh, I have something to post. Like when the yeah. Emmy nomination came out, like, yeah. yeah, I got something to post. Cause I just, I just don't post every day like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's like I get it. it. It's getting into the rhythm of that, and I, you know, my the reason my stuff took off was was the social media yeah. stuff. So I was already in the rhythm. Um, I admire that though, Charlie. I mean, so many, I I remember I asked someone. I can't remember who it was. It was another was another comedian or a writer. I asked, "Have you ever heard of Charlie Barons?" And they were like. No, no. I go, he does Midwest stuff on TikTok. Oh, yeah. I mean, he knows you were. <laughs> it, it's funny, right? It's like, what is your name uh, outside of the uh, 
outside of it. Like, I think Trevor Wallace had a tour um, called uh, Are You That Guy or whatever, yeah. which is basically what people uh, say to you on the street if you're <laughs> like, are you that dude? Are you, yeah. Are you, are you that Midwest guy? That He totally yeah. knew once I said the Midwest guy on TikTok. He knew right away. It's, it's, <laughs> that is funny. But I mean, for you, though, uh, you know, your main thing uh, by your your own admission is more like the writing side of now it. Now it what, is. Yeah. yeah. And, and you you really enjoy that. What What, what is okay. the, the process of, of being a uh, I mean, uh, first of all, you're a Hollywood writer on paper, but you're not living in Hollywood. No, live in Indiana. And we'll continue to live in Indiana as long as we can. I'll tell you what helped make that happen. We all know was the was the pandemic, right? Oh yeah, it changed everything. It's when I got rid of my place out there. Can I tell you, Charlie? I remember, I remember being on tour so much on the road as a comedian that I would say, "Man, I wish I could just do my show from home." I remember I would yeah. say that because I would be yeah. so exhausted. You know, I wish I could just do my show from home. And then the pandemic came. <laughs> and I got offers to do my show from home. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I know. There's nothing worse than doing your show at home. A Zoom comedy. I did a few of them. Oh, I did a tell few me. Of them. I want to know because, Charlie, that just sounded like a nightmare to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, well, I did it for like, there'd be like a, um, some corporation that had a, uh, virtual holiday party, you know, and I would just do material. But what I always encouraged was, let's do it where I can talk to people, you know, okay. like where I can bring them up, you know, and have a conversation. Because right. I think that uh, that's fun, you know, then it's interactive a little bit and it would break up my set, you know. Right. But when I was actually doing straight comedy, which I was, you'd be looking at the little faces. Right. And you know, you could see somewhere laughing, you know, but somewhere like yelling at their kids or whatever. So it's like, it's like, don't look at the faces. Just let's get through this, you know. But yeah, I had so many calls. I remember somebody called me. I was like, are you for real? They're like, yeah, it's a Zoom show, 50 bucks. I was like, no. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh, 50 bucks. Uh, I'm a Hollywood writer now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was crazy, but I tell you, getting into writing was is different, and it's a different grind. And I feel like it's, but it's been fun because it's a new adventure for me, right? I started mm -hmm. in 2017 writing on the last OG for mm -hmm. Tracy Morgan, and I, you know, I, I got the job because I, I did ask. You know, I asked. There was a character who's uh, similar to like my life in some. I mean, yeah, she was married to a white guy, so let's just put it that way, right? It was yeah, interracial marriage. Tiffany Haddish's character. And so I wanted to write for that character. And so I, I asked and luckily I got lucky. I really did. They had, they were going into this next season. They were looking for writers. I would be a new staff writer. So I was able to get in as a staff writer on that show. And uh, from there went on. And I will tell you, it's just a totally different thing for comedians because now you are working with writers and like as comics, if a joke doesn't work, we just say that joke didn't work. That joke was bad. You know, we call it out. Yeah. You're in the writer's room. You can't say that joke ain't funny. That's somebody because that's somebody's joke. <laughs> you yeah. Can't, you can't say that. Y'all don't hang out at the club, at the bar, in the back of the room talking shit. It's not like that. Like, you cannot say that. And I was like my first week, literally, I was in a room. 
<laughs> and it was a multicam show. And in that room, we room wrote, meaning we wrote this, the script together. Yeah. And somebody had a joke and I'm looking at the screen and I go, and I'm reading and I go, is that supposed to be a joke? And it was a showrunner's joke. Oh, man. <laughs> he was, luckily, he was a cool guy. He knew I was a comedian. He knew it was my first time in that room. So he laughed. Yeah. But I'll never forget all the right. Tracy, you never, you never say that. And one girl, I was like, why? Because that is someone's joke. Okay. <laughs> As comedians, we call it out because we want to yeah. get better. She's like, yeah, but you would hurt someone's ego by saying that. You know, these people, we've we've gone to school for this. I'm like, okay. So I had to oh. learn to really respect that. Oh, know? wow. Yeah. They brought out the, I went to school for this card. Absolutely. Yeah. Did now, you, you say have the other writers who are cool and calm. They're not like that. But then you got a yeah. lot just like that other, like t letting you know, hey, hey, comedian, you know, I've written for a long time. I studied this. You know, you might be funny on stage, ha ha, but this is different, you know? Yeah, and I get that it's different to a degree, but I watch a lot of TV where I'm like, oh, God, Me this too. is awful. Me too. And so I, I think that that mentality probably is not good you know there yeah there should be no i i don't know that that's got to be really hard is that still like the mo in, in a lot of writers rooms or is it is there someone guiding that ship is there someone at the helm of it who I think, either yeah. invites or disinvites that you know what i think someone told me because i i remember after that one room i worked at that, that i had all that heat for like oh you got to follow the rules i asked a buddy of mine who's a comedian he's been writing for years and he sent me like the bible and it was really interesting. And it was the things that he had learned all these years. And it was truly like, you know, always be positive in the room, you know, never negate anything, never call out anything, which which I understand. They're like, don't present a problem unless you have a solution. Totally understand uh -huh. that. But like he even said, don't talk about your comedy shows. Don't talk about any of your stand up. They don't mm -hmm. care. They don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. And I would try to fight that. But it things would come up. Somebody would see something. Tracy, you're doing a show such and such. And so we talk about it, yeah. you know, and I was like, oh, did I just break the rule? They're going to hate me, you know, <laughs> because I'm a comedian. I will say, I don't know about hate, but I will say I definitely felt competition. I definitely felt a lot of that, like that competition of my jokes got to be better than her jokes. I got to prove that she's not good, even though she's a comedian. I got to prove I'm better than her. I did get a lot. Of, I did feel some of that, you know. Um, and that's just, I think that's just part of the game in some rooms. I think it's, I truly think it's whoever is running that room. Mm -hmm. That's whatever, how it's, that's how it's going to be. If that showrunner is open to, Hey, I want everyone's ideas. You know, mm -hmm. I, nobody, nobody has a bad idea in this room. Then it's, that's a different environment versus you better, you, I want you guys to beat each other. You know, like yeah. <laughs> I want y'all to fight to get your jokes in the script. So I think it all starts at the top. It's interesting, too, because, um, you know, I'm just trying to think if I am like a straight up writer and this is this is my whole like bread and butter thing. That's one sort of mentality of I need to own this. That's a lot of stress to put on one thing, whereas like a comedian, I mean, 
not to say you don't want it and you're not happy to be there, but you don't need to be there. You can go out and do shows and That's I mean, true. in, in a lot of cases, make more money, you know? I do, I have to tell you, I do, I, I have a lot of respect for these writers, the ones who've been doing this for so long. Like you'd read their scripts and you'd go, wow, okay, I see exactly. You know, it's another journey for me. I see where I got to get to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I would try my best not to have a chip on my shoulder, not to think I'm, oh, I'm funnier. Than... You might be funny, but you still got to tell a story and you still got to write that script. So and you know? that's that's where we as comedians, because, uh, you know, we, though we are storytellers yeah. uh, in yeah. a lot of ways, I think both our comedy is similar. We both know, like, you can just do like one quick like like a bit on something with maybe you got four or five jokes and then out but out. that's not that's not a story not you know? at all and then developing characters and making them different because we're all, a lot of times we're talking you know uh, different characters but all through our voice yeah and we totally. can kind of hack around that a little bit right. sometimes absolutely you can cheat a little bit too with yeah. things saying on stage not when writing not yeah. at all and yeah. i will tell you i found this i find that comedians maybe not all, but the ones I've worked with in myself, it takes us a bit longer sometimes to get to that joke because we want to write the best joke, you know? And we always know the first thought is just the first thought. So we're trying to write that, what's the second, third, fourth, yeah. fifth joke, you know? So sometimes I would be in the writer's room and I, it would take me a minute to get to that joke. You know, everybody would be shouting out jokes. They would just be shouting out stuff. And I was like, and I would just be like, oh, I'm not shouting out anything, you know? But then I would have a joke. A, a, yeah. You know, I go, okay, here's, I would write it down. Here's the joke after hearing everybody just shout stuff out. Then I would throw that out, you know? Yeah. It's, that's also like, um, it's like, how does your mind work in the room too? Like, are you someone who likes that like intense pressure or, uh, of, um, of almost needing to uh, prove yourself mm -hmm. um, or are, do you shy away from, are you better just like writing a bunch of stuff on your own the night before when your brain can kind of like yeah. relax a little bit? Yeah. Know? I like to write on my own. I mean, we, I did two, I did a few different ways on shows. One room was we, we would go off to script and write. And I love that because mm. you get that time, time to go out, you work out the episode in the room with the, with the writers and then you get to go off to script, you know, and yeah. you've, you've been given a direction, but you can put a bit, put your voice in there as well. You know, yeah. I love that versus when you're sitting in the room and I heard this is like the old school way when you're doing a multicam and it was just to get things done quickly. You would sit in the room as a group and you would write that script. It'd be on a board and we would write it together. Mm -hmm. The writer's assistant would type it out and you'd write it together. That was also fun because that's a different muscle and it, but it was kind of like a game too. Who was trying to get your jokes in? And it would yeah. be interesting, Charlie. You'd get a joke in, and you'd feel so happy. The next second, somebody comes in with a better joke. Your <laughs> joke, joke gets typed over. You like, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're looking at the person that just beat your joke, and you're like, I can't take that personally. They didn't mean to get to try to get me. To, and you start you start thinking like that, and now it's like a competition in the room. But I think what it, it did, it stirred up creativity. And sometimes that was really fun. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I, I, so I guess like it's um, it's almost like uh, improv, you know, uh, where, you know, you you get up on stage and you, you're kind of building it together. But, you know, you feel like if half the show has gone by and you haven't said anything that funny, you're like, yeah. oh, man. Then oh, you I start would feel getting bad. 
Yeah, I'd be yeah. like, you're the comedian here. You better say something. You yeah. <laughs> it, well, and it's funny. It's like it's like any other art form. It just takes time and it's different. It's its own unique thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I worked kind of- on the sketch show, that was different. The sketch show was way different. Because we yeah. weren't writing, you know, we weren't doing a series arc, you know, or mm-hmm. anything like that. And, and we didn't have the same characters. It was right. different sketch, you know, but that was a lot of fun also because that was with a room of black women writers. I'd never been in a room like that. And it was and we never had to explain stuff like about our hair or about things that we do. Everybody it was just understood in the room. Yeah. So we had a, I had that was a totally different experience doing that show. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And uh, how um, how was the vibe in there? Like, you know, for a sketch show, plus it's all black women in the writer's mm-hmm. room. Right. So it, like, was it you you started doing the show and it just immediately you guys uh, vibed pretty well together? Yeah. And- the, yeah. The good thing about our writer's room, we were in season three of a black lady sketch show. But the thing about it, everybody on that in the writer's room was a fan or was a fan of the show. We all mm. watched the show. So yeah. we loved the show. So we came in like hungry and ready you know to pitch had ideas um so it was different i will tell you it was a different vibe um it a lot of work because you're doing a lot more you know writing a lot of sketches and so forth and then production was long and you know all that but it was it was amazing to see these young black uh, women writers and then to see the cast was all black and then just to see the guests we had it was a totally different world and it was different from the other writers' rooms. There was no rules like that. We might have had rules of things we wanted to follow as far as for the show. Mm-hmm. But in the room, it was just be kind, work hard. And that's what we did, you know? Yeah. yeah. Excuse the interruption, ladies and gentlemen, but just want to shout out the very amazing uh, sponsors of the Cast podcast. First off, Jolly Good Soda. I got to restock my Jolly Good. I'm going to be honest with you. Bill Doucette, who was on last week's episode, every time he stays here, he... uh, Cleans house. He cleans house. (laughs) He loves the Jolly Good Soda. I love it too. Not as much as Bill, but uh, it's a delicious soda. Check it out. From Wisconsin. How did I just say Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Well, I was was going on to say Random Lake, so some of that slipped into the (laughs) latter half of my Wisconsin pronunciation. Random Lake, Wisconsin. Uh, If you can't find it at your place, uh, your, your grocery store, just ask the manager. Uh, otherwise, you can get jollygoodsoda.com if you're outside of Wisconsin. Also, want to thank Duluth Trading Company. Fall is coming. Believe it or not, there's no other clothing brand that works quite as well as Duluth Trading. Uh, perfect for all the seasons, fall included. Great hoodies they got. And oh my gosh, it's hoodie weather coming up before you know it. There was a little briskness in the air yesterday. Did you feel it? Yeah, and I, I, hate to do it but like because i know every midwest person really wants summer but i you're a fall gal i'm really ready for summer to be done really (laughs) i love like 65 Uh, i'm never ready for summer the chill yeah i mean it's you know i will embrace it when it's here but i'm i'm holding on for dear life to be i mean if i can like smell leaves falling Mm. and like a campfire i just the heat like it genuinely like this is so midwest not even a bit like the humidity sitting in the middle of August and it's like, I, don't, I just hate that. So I'm excited. Humidity. Yeah. Well, I love it. Yeah. I'm all about that. Yeah. But fall I'm excited for and you know, we'll be wearing Duluth. 
Duluth. Great, great stuff uh, for all seasons, but them hoodies. Get one if you can. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, best way to support the podcast, if you go to cripescast.com, click on the merch section, you get all of our Man Twug Minute branded merch. We've got a new shirt, I Survived the Midwest Goodbye. Uh, that's fun. We just designed that. We've got new designs coming out. We've got aluminum bar signs. Uh, Ope uh, is one of them, like in the lit up open sign without the N, you know that. And then also how to make a Bloody Mary, how to make an old fashioned. We've got all those bar signs, recycled aluminum made in the U.S. And uh, all our stuff, by the way, is made in the USA. It's very important to us. I know it costs you a little bit more. It costs us a little bit more, but we think it's important. So that's why we do it. Uh, we've got a new Oak Beanie. We got Tell Your Folks I, uh, I Says Hi Hat. Uh, the Midwest Survival Guide book is there. And then just in time for football season, go Packers and F the Bears merch. Again, you can get that cripescast.com. Just click on the merch section. And with that, let's get back to the Cripescast. When you were touring, kind of going back a little bit, sure. now, when you, you were touring around the Midwest, uh, what were some of your favorite places to go in the Midwest? So many places. I would say, gosh, I loved going. People love being in Wisconsin. I don't know why, but they yeah. love being, <laughs> they love being in Wisconsin. Every time I went anywhere in Wisconsin, I had a great time. Oh, Whether it was awesome. doing the whole chunk casino yeah yeah um whether it was doing university of wisconsin madison like there madison, were different yep. i did all the different campuses you know yeah. all over the, those those schools were so much fun they were so excited to see me you know when i would do those shows there also there was a club in appleton wisconsin skyline the skyline yeah it's a great club I, I opened many years ago for a comedian named Emo Phillips. Do you remember Emo Phillips from back in the day, like a long time ago? You know what? I, I'm not as familiar. Emo, God, you got to look him up. He was legendary, Charlie. Emo Phillips was big, like in the 80s and 90s. Very different type of comedian. They say he was the one who came up with the idea for the movie Meet the Parents. They say it was it was he was behind that. I think oh, that, no kidding. Yeah. But um, he funny man, legendary. And he we were at the skyline. I was opening for him and he told the owner, he's like, that girl should be you know, she needs to be a headliner. You need to make that woman a headliner. And he did. And he did after that. Oh, wow. I started headlining. But I That's love cool. I loved going to the skyline. Oh my God. I love Wisconsin. I just had the best time in Appleton. Um, trying to think where else. Iowa. Always I got stuck in Iowa one time in a snow a snowstorm, but I had a great time there. They took <laughs> me. There's a club, uh, Des Moines, the funny bone. Yeah. That yeah. I, I loved working there. Um, Minneapolis, of course, always. Always Minneapolis in, in in the city. Outside, yeah, okay. But Minneapolis in the city, man, I would have some fun shows. And one show I will always remember is opening for Dave Chappelle when he was, he had just gotten the whole, all the, you know, all the, the publicity about Dave when he had left Comedy Central right. and all that stuff. This was right around that time. And he went away to Africa and he came back. This was one of the first shows Dave appeared. I started doing shows again. And wow. I got a phone call. I was here in Indiana and I got a phone call that he was going to be doing a show in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if I, they, they I guess they showed him, him and his people, different comics from Acme. And he said, I'll have her open. Wow. So I went wow. out, and I opened for Dave. That's got, first of all, that has to be a, a career highlight right there to have Dave Chappelle 
or his people or whoever handpick you. And when I got to the show, what I loved about what Dave Chappelle did, and I don't, he'll probably never remember, but it, it meant so much to me. They told me when I got there, I was like, oh, I'm going to do, do my set. And they're like, okay, Tracy, you're just going to do about five, seven minutes. And I was like, five or seven minutes? But I mean, I was going to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, man, five or seven? Okay. So I got ready to do my five, changed, had to change my set. Dave comes up to me and he goes, yo, do, do 20. Do 20, uh, 25. Have some fun. Yeah, that's cool. And I was That's like, it. for real? He was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did did you um get to know him uh well in that show at all before or after? I will tell you he was the kindest, so kind, didn't know what to expect. He was very kind. His wife was there, his kids were there. I saw a family man. Mm-hmm. That's what I saw. Yeah. I saw a family man who after the show wanted to be with his kids and his wife and was happy. And he told me, uh have he talked about it on stage, but he told me having a daughter was different for him, for him. I told him I didn't have any kids at the time, and I talked about it on stage. And he said, "You should, you should, Tracy, you should have a kid, get a kid." He said, "It's gonna make your comedy better. Excuse me, it'll make it better, make it stronger, and it'll be different. It'll be something else. You're you're just gonna open up another world." He said, mm. "Plus, you're gonna have a kid." He yeah. said, "Don't go through the life don't and not have a kid." He said, "Do whether you have it or adopt it, get that kid." And I remember that. I remember that conversation. I remember his wife was so nice. They, I just remember expecting this, you know, after all that publicity, right? I was expecting this. I don't know what, a wild man? I don't know. But Dave was just so, so cool, laid back. You could just tell he just wanted to be funny and do stand up and be a family man and live a nice life, which is why I think maybe, I mean, I don't know him personally that deep, right? But maybe that's why he still lives in the, on that farm in Ohio. You know, yeah. that's why I still want to live in Indiana. It's not where I'm from. I'm from Georgia, uh, raised in Miami. But Indiana is, is kind of close to the south to me. It feels southern, even though we're yeah. in the north. And, um, you know, I met my husband here. I hit my in-laws are here. I love I love it just being a nice, calm life. And I could see that's what Chappelle wants. He just wants to perform, be funny, and then live his life. And I think that's what we all want. Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, where did you meet your husband? I met Scott in Mishawaka, Indiana. I was on, I was doing a show with Mark Gross, who yeah. was a who was famous back in the day. Cause I say famous because at all the clubs, the funny bone, they had a sandwich named after him, the gross sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark Gross was a, a headliner and he invited me to tour with him. I flew to Chicago and we drove over to Mishawaka, Indiana. And the host of our show, the MC, John Osborne, he bought his he brought his best friend and his best friend was is my husband, Scott. And Scott is a teacher and he came to the show. And at that time, Charlie, I was going through I had went through a bad breakup. I was dating this guy who had gotten another DUI, which I didn't oh. know he had that kind of a pass. You know, I was, I was he was struggling, but he lost everything. The guy lost everything. And then he got on house arrest. And so he was on house arrest, didn't want to hang out with me, didn't want to go out with me. I'm like, but you're on house arrest. And he's like, no, don't come over. Don't call me. I was like, I cannot believe I'm being dumped. You know, this guy's <laughs> on house arrest. He's dumping me. So I go on the road with Mark and I Mark and I tell Mark all about this. And he's just like, Tracy, you're better than that. Don't worry about that. You know, we do that. We're doing the show after the show. Scott's hanging out. And I think Mark must have he must have talked to Scott. And he comes over to me. He goes, now, that's the guy you need to talk to. 
And it was interesting because Mark said that. He was a white guy. Mark's like, I don't care about that. Mark didn't. He's like, he goes, that's the guy you need to talk to. I said, the guy with the khaki pants? <laughs> that looks like a teacher? He said, yes. Oh, the guy with the khaki pants. I said, Mark, him? He's like, he's a teacher. He loves his family. He's a nice guy. I go, he doesn't have any swag. And then Mark goes, Tracy, swag is on house arrest. <laughs> That's a great joke. Swag is a house arrest. <laughs> that, that was your aha moment right there. It was my aha moment. I was like, Mark, you are right. Mark and I are still friends to this day. He's the one that helped get me into writing because he wrote on Mike and Molly. Mm -hmm. And he is the one that recommended me to CBS to write on the neighborhood. And we have we're, we're still very good friends. But he was the one that said, that's the guy you need to be with. And here we here we are. Well, and being in an, and what year was this? 2003, we met. 2003. Mm -hmm. So what was it like um, uh, being in an interracial relationship in Indiana in 2003? And like, how has it changed? Up it's until so today? different, man. It's so different. I remember back then, I felt so lonely when I would come out here because, mm. you know, the, the neighborhood was predominantly white that he had lived in which yeah. has changed now. It has completely changed, you oh, know? Wow. Um, but yeah, when I first started coming here, I would feel out of place. It was different, you know? It was people were, where everywhere we went, people did look, you know, they would double take, you know? Plus Scott, my husband, he's so white. I just have to joke, he's white. He's like, he's <laughs> white. You know, he's, he wears socks and sandals, white. He's that oh, wow. guy, that's, you know? That's very white, yeah. Very white, you know? And I'm walking around with my braids and my hair with him and people have double take and looking at us. It was so weird. I remember being at Blockbuster with him. We walked in and everybody just stared at us the whole time. And I remember telling him, I don't know if I can deal with this. And he would be just, Scott would just be like, I don't care about them. We don't yeah. care about what they think. You know, I only care about what happens right here. Yeah. And I remember him saying that to me and I just, I had to keep hearing that. He yeah. didn't care about that. It's only between us. And I'm like, but don't we have to care about these other people? You know, don't we, shouldn't we? And over time, God, it took me a while, Charlie. It would be funny. Scott would pick me up from the airport. <laughs> and one time I would try to get in the back seat, like he's about Uber or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you better get in the back with the luggage. I'll get in the back, right? He like, get in the front. <laughs> wait, wait, you wanted to do that to what? To avoid the just looks to, or something? Just to avoid the looks. Like, because, you know, you get to the airport, you get to where the, you know, the cars come to pick you up. Mm. Everybody's there, right? Packed. Yeah. And I'm in Chicago Midway, right? And here comes my husband come pulling up. Or at the time, my boyfriend come pulling up. And I would just be like looking around. People be looking and I'd just be like getting in like, or I'd go, hi, hey, how's it going? How are you? Like we were just friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, totally different. Tracy doesn't do that anymore. Now I give him a big hug, kiss. We don't care. But now, people, people still look sometimes, but it's, I'll tell you, it really has changed. We, mm -hmm. the neighborhoods changed. It's more diverse now. Um and I don't know, it's a, it's we I don't we don't get as many looks, but we but when things happen in the news, you know, when racial tensions happen in the news, I notice it's a bit different when we are out. People will stare. Hmm. You know, it, if something it's going if something Black Lives Matter is happening, you know, yeah, then we get stares, I would say. Now, is that something that um, he notices uh, the same things you notice or like kind of do, do you both pick up on different things with respect to that? 
For years, he didn't notice anything. I'm like, you don't see these people staring mm -hmm. at him? He did not. It would really frustrate me. You know, even when it's in with my in-laws, I'd be like, you don't, do you see that your parents, they're not racist. I will, but your dad just, you know, asked me if black people understand me because I speak so dang well. What do you mean? Like, you know, I, I would, yeah. <laughs> would say, you know, we had a lot. Scott never, Scott did not see it the way I did. And then finally, I forgot where we were. We were somewhere, gosh, we've been through so many things, but we were somewhere and he, he said, did you see how they were looking at us? And it was funny because that time I didn't. I go, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, they were staring. And I was like, oh, so now you see it. But what really got him was he, he my husband used to, he retired, but he was a uh, high school history teacher and he coached football and he coached wrestling. And he was at one of the varsity games and one of the coaches had said something. Uh, he used the N word about the kids. And my husband had came home and told me about it. And I was like, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? You know, he and he was it was like the first time for him. He had been confronted with something like that mm. and basically told him, hey, I don't appreciate that that language. I don't want to hear that language. My wife is black and mm. I don't want to hear that about kids or anybody. Yeah. And it was interesting because I said, what happened? And I guess the guy he must have he, he said to he said to my husband, oh, I said that, mm. you know, yeah. I don't remember saying, yeah, no, yeah, you did say the N-word. Yeah. And he then went and to cover his ass, I think he went and told the athletic director what a great job my husband was doing as a coach. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> but Charlie, check it out. Why does Scott get teacher of the month in the month of February? Uh, <laughs> is that in your bet? Is that Absolutely, because in... <laughs> it's bullshit. It's the but you gave him you gave him teacher of the month in February. Day. I said, baby, they're clowning you. <laughs> <laughs> it's Black History Month. They know your wife's black. They're clowning you. <laughs> are there um are there still things that like that you'll see or, or like things that people say that they don't think are racist that uh it's like um it just it, it is and it's kind of a common thing people will say like well, still you know i'm darkest people still say gosh tracy out white people i was out in the sun all day i'm as dark as you man we used to hear that all my life yeah like, no you're not no you're yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference there's a big difference <laughs> people still say that today i still get that I'm, i just look at my friends like come on now don't say that to me. You know, you know, you're nowhere near as dark. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Or um, I still will get. Uh, can I touch your hair? You know, I'll still get that now. You know, like oh, yeah. still get that. Huh? Every now and again, especially with just with the braids. You know, just with yeah. the braids. How long people will come up to you and like reach, come up to me and reach up to me, my hair. I have to go like go back like oh. No. Yeah. I don't even know you, lady. I know yeah. you, you seem like a nice lady, but you can't. Oh, how long did this take? Would I, I don't, I'm not touching your hair. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. You know? So, yeah, that's, I will say those, those are the two main things. But, I mean, you know, my in-laws always say stuff that's always so funny to me. You yeah. know, they're always making comments. What did you, what did my, my father-in-law said? We were watching football and one of the kids was from Opelaka and the Notre Dame football team. And he was from Opelaka, which is where I grew up in Miami. It was a rough neighborhood. And my father-in-law was like, he can run fast. 
And they said, he's from Opelika, Florida. And he goes, that's where you're from. He said, no wonder he could run fast. I bet he was outrunning those bullets, man. He was <laughs> outrunning them. I was like. And. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you just. You just look at him. I just yeah. like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's why he's so fast, Terry. Because he was outrunning bullets. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> So it it's still it's still you still get uh, get it every now and again. Every now and again, yeah. and it's funny because we've Scott and I've been together, th- been married thirteen years. We've been together almost twenty years. I've just finally gotten over that, and mm. I because I don't think that's never going to change. Mm-hmm. They're in their seventies, you know, yeah. and they don't always say the dumbest stuff, you know, but because they're and they're good people. They don't mean anything. I, it took me a while to realize they mean they don't mean anything. They just don't know. Yeah, isn't it like you know? There's a lot of talk of racism, mm-hmm. and racism obviously obviously exists. And I think you know, as well meaning as you are, you've got some racism inside of you, whether you know it or not. But I think in, um. And this is just my experience being a white dude, obviously. So, but um, which should not count for much in this uh, context. <laughs> but um, it's a lot of it. And I'm thinking about people I've uh, met in maybe certain parts of the Midwest and based off of some things that I've heard said is it's a lack of um, of um, exposure as oh yeah much as it is uh, because people largely i don't think mean anything by it. it's just a lack of awareness uh, <laughs> like an ignorance of sorts um and uh, a lack of exposure so how do you would you agree with that first of all absolutely well i remember after george floyd happened we went back to work in the writer's room well that was tense right mm-hmm. and we i remember somebody in the room said um we love to hear from the black writers to how do you guys feel about what's been happening? You know, this is the pandemic. It was all the, you know, all the marches, the protests. And one of the other writers, a black writer said, I don't want to hear what Tracy thinks. I don't want to hear what the other black writers think. I want to hear what the white writers think, because if we're going to make any change, mm-hmm. we need you to understand. We need you to come along in the fight. First time I heard anybody say that like that, and, and all the writers in the room, the white writers, they they spoke up, and it was like they wanted to be engaged in this. And they, and one of the writers said, "I never knew how bad it was, and mm-hmm. I should have, but in my world and what I do with my friends and where I go, I never have to experience it. I never have." And she says, "I don't have black friends any, you know, more than just my coworkers." Mm-hmm. And then someone else. Who, this other guy who was a producer, he was like, I didn't know it was like that either. And I was like, wow. And I remember getting mad, at, you know, when they made that statement. But then I had to think, Tracy, they, they, again, exposure. If you're living a great cush life, you know, and you're taking care of your family, you're doing the things you're supposed to do in society. You take, you know, you're raising, like this guy was raising great kids, taking care of his wife, doing what he's supposed to do. He didn't notice that was going on in the world because in his world, Everything is fine. And I asked my in-laws. My in-laws said the same thing. They had no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the questions my mother-in-law asked me, she started asking me slavery questions. And I was just looking at her. Yeah. 
Let's go look up together. Come on, let's yeah. go, you know. <laughs> like you're the expert. You're what a you're historian me, in it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is funny how um that's that's the go-to of, you know, make your black friends the experts on all these things oh. that you could just research yourself, you know. Right? So it's been interesting with my in-laws now because, you know, they live like three hours from me, but we're going to move closer to them. So I'm like, Tracy, is this the be- a right decision? Is this the right decision? Because Scott and I are going to adopt, foster to adopt some kids, you know. This oh, is that's amazing. I've put it off for a long time. And we're finally like, we're so, so close. And uh, I just, I'm hoping that will help also to bring the family, you know, together. Together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that, that that is very cool. Um, and congratulations, by the Thank way. I know you. that's a very long process. Anyway. It is. We took the classes last year, Charlie, and then um, I had to go back to L.A. for work. And the thing is, we have to take a couple of classes over because what they don't want you to do, they don't want you to take the classes and then let time lapse. Like they want you to take the classes, get your background checked, get the kid. Right. Like They move you through the you have to do like so many hours. They move you through those classes quick. You're mm-hmm. done with those classes within like two weeks. Then they want you to get a kid. Well, I had to go to work in LA. So I thought mm-hmm. we could take the classes. Then I could just go work. And then when we're ready, we get the kid. They're like, nope, you've let a year lapse between that time. We need you to take another, a couple more classes before uh-huh. we get the kid. So because of the Emmys and all this stuff that are you know coming up, I'm like, let's just wait till I come back. We'll take these two classes and then we'll, we'll move from there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very cool. I'm very yeah, it's happy exciting. Yeah. I'm really happy. I'm gonna be a. I always say I'm gonna be a grandma, mama, because I'm older now. But I don't. Yeah. I'm gonna be a good one. <laughs> you get, You absolutely are. Um, where do you think like media? Um, you know, all all kinds of. What, what do you think media can do to kind of bri- make like sort of an authentic bridge between cultures? Do you think it's doing a good job as it is, or do you think? I, it- I think there's the good and bad, right? It's yeah, like sure. the white hats and the black hats, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. I, there's so much crap online. There's so much crap out there to read. There's yeah. so much for people to read they, stuff that's not even true that divides us. You know, yeah. there's so many things that divide us that we read um, things. People, people, I, I love when I hear people talking about the system and how people are taking advantage of the system. You know, and then they they the people will make statements about black people in the system and what we do. Mm-hmm. Or even when COVID, black people weren't getting the vaccine. It's because of the black people. Like, you know, like, come on. There are a lot of people who didn't want to get the vaccine. They weren't just black. Right. There were a lot of people who refused to do that. But, you know, we we get labeled like we get mm-hmm. labeled, you know, and that. But then the media puts that crap out there. So, I, you know. They have a bit of responsibility, but a lot of times it's about that story and getting eyes on your story. How many times do you see a headline and then you read the story? It wasn't nothing like that headline. The oh, headline yeah. is just to get you to read it. Right. You know? right. So get I feel through like the reading, paywall. Yeah. And so 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 much of this stuff is just to get us talking and, you know, interacting, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of stuff out there is just to, you know, I feel like just gets people angry. So sometimes I have to avoid, I have to stay away from watching too much news and reading too much news, you know, uh, and get out of my house and talk to my neighbors. Right. Well, and comedy um, historically has been a place to that 
and and it's become more so this i think it, it's it's in some ways for better or worse become a more trusted outlet for um realness and truth than even news true um and, joe rogan right and well, his podcast it, and all that i mean that's that's a perfect example and joe rogan has said said uh some interesting stuff he said some kind of right. bad shit crazy stuff right um right. and so yeah you 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 know you can't always um it doesn't matter if it's what it necessarily is or um means but people for whatever reason are taking what's being said um by comedians with like more than a comedic lens did you see Chappelle's um thing at the Duke Ellington um did yeah. you see what his Netflix and he yeah. talks about like you know the backlash against him right and he had this kind of profound i thought um statement about saying you know people that people will write what i say in uh, in print without any of the nuance of how i'm saying it that's right and he that's used right. the example like i it'd be like making a headline like man gets shot in the head by six foot rabbit but they won't tell you it's a bugs bunny cartoon that's you right know? Right. Absolutely. And um, I saw that and I wa and I was like, that is the absolute truth of what he's saying, because, again, it's just to get eyes on things. It gets, it's just to get people to pay attention. You know, that's really all it is. And um, and, and at, at, it's almost like at, at any cost, you know, even mm -hmm. if it's a lie, even if it's a falsehood, even if it's an altering of the truth. That's what it is. And I, I really admire Dave Chappelle for for saying for saying that he said some crazy stuff, though, on that special, though. He when he said, what did he say? No one will ever be as great as him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely he's definitely got that. Uh, like, Wait a minute. We went off the rails. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. He likes to do that stuff. <laughs> Oh man, uh, this this has been fun talking. Uh, what, let's uh, what, what if people want to find you? Where where can they find you? I'm all I'm on Instagram, and uh, it's it's Tracy Ashley is my Instagram. Same thing with Facebook. Same thing with my Twitter. It's Tracy Ashley. They can awesome. find. Yeah. Awesome. And congrats on the Emmy nom. Thank you. And I hope we win. When is it? When it? Um, what we do? There's up, one of right? the, there's a Creative Arts Emmys that's on September 3rd, and that's for the writing category. You know, all the editing, writing, all the different yeah. those awards are there. Those are the ones nobody cares about to watch. <laughs> so we'll be at that one, and then on the 12th is the actual Emmys, and we are up against uh, SNL for that one, and that oh, will wow. air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be tough. It's just us, Black Lady Sketch Show, and Saturday Night Live. That's it in that category. Wow. Well, good luck. I am. Uh, I'm very hopeful for you. I'll be crossing my fingers for you. Thanks, SNL's Charlie. gotten enough. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> SNL's gotten enough. Okay. They have, right? Yeah. Come on, give it. Just give us one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again, and um, we should collab at some point. Too. Be better, uh, definitely. I, I gotta find my way over to Indiana. It's okay, not that far. All right, we'll yeah. do it. We'll make it happen. All right, that sounds. Thanks, good. Charlie. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow Tracy, just get onto your Instagrams or your Twitters on all platforms. It's at It's Tracy Ashley. 
I-T-S-T-R-A-C-E-Y-A-S-H-L-E-Y at Tracy Ashley. Also, make sure you follow Cast on all our platforms as well at Cast. And then, Colleen, what do you want to make sure they remember? <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash Charlie Barron's to subscribe or pay to be a part of our Patreon crew. It's five bucks a month, right? Five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. It's a doubled fashion at the bar. Yeah. Is it five? I don't know. How yeah, much is I mean, it? a double old fashioned, depending on the bar, supper club, you could probably get a double for five bucks. It's a probably pretty cheap, but it's something f- that equivalents yeah. $5 foot long at Subway. I don't know. Oh. I'm trying to think. Is that of- still a thing? They still have $5 foot longs at I Subway? I mean, $5 foot long was never a thing. It was always like five and some change. And I remember yeah. like being a little upset about it because you advertise like I know. $5 but, foot long. Uh, I used to get that like every day. That was my daily lunch thing for a long time. Yeah. I, I like lived down the street from a subway and my friends and I would bike up there during the summer and then I applied to be a sandwich artist when I was 14. A sandwich I, artist? That's what they call them. Oh god. <laughs> subway, I'm not a huge fan of Subway, I gotta be honest with you. I, I do prefer uh, almost any other yeah. sub. But well, I didn't get it because they said I wasn't old enough to operate the microwave. So You weren't old enough to microwave the Or like operate, operate the microwave. Microwave the operator? <laughs> yeah. Opera- yeah. Wow. How old do you have to be the operator? I think microwave? it just was like they couldn't hire anybody less than 15 or 16. Oh. And I tried to lie on that. Anyway, go to patreon.com slash Charlie Barron. a lot Barons. of ambition. Yeah, I know. Uh, lie and, on your application. I know. And uh, you can pay five bucks a month to get exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else. I'm going to find your application around here and see. And <laughs> I'm questioning everything now. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Cripes Cast. I'm your host, Charlie Barron's. Big thanks to our EP, Colleen Maraca for doing such a great job every week. Thank you, Colleen. And everybody, oh, you're just going to say nothing? Okay, cool. Thank you. You don't need to say thank you. All right, everybody, keep her moving. Watch for deer, and we will see you next week. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. Life's got you down. Just keep her moving. It's on Wisconsin. The Badgers say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. You know, sometimes when you're ice fishing, you put your foot in the walleye hole and go ass over tea kettle and you think you're done. No, you gotta keep her moving. <laughs>